From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. A ministry of song and service with devotion to the most invisible among us. The husband and wife singer-songwriter team of Al and Andy Tauber, urban Mennonites, they seek and value the simple life. Their calling turns them to urban spaces, to pressing social concerns. This episode of Beliefs was produced by Monique Parsons in collaboration with KALW's The Spiritual Edge, University of California Center for Religion and Civic Culture, and Religion News Service. Mennonite churches are a rare breed here in the Bay Area. It's a tiny Christian sect that renounces violence, welcomes refugees, and shuns materialism. Today, as a part of KALW's Sacred Steps series, we're doing something a little different. We're going to Chicago to meet Mennonite couple Al and Andy Tauber. They're married singer-songwriters who direct music for a congregation of urban Mennonites. For the Taubers, this means taking their ministry and their music to the streets. Monique Parsons reports. Chicago is known for great architecture, but the one-story building at the corner of Pratt and Ashland is no landmark. The red brick rectangle used to be a discount store. Inside, there's a sparse room with a dull navy carpet. On a recent Monday night, a dozen musicians sit on mismatched chairs. If not for the eight-foot pine cross stuck on a chunk of plywood at the front of the room, you might not guess this is a church. The band members, kids as young as five up to adults in their 50s, are a mix of native Midwesterners, refugees, immigrants. Let's see what we got. Oh, we got lyrics too. They play maracas, ukuleles, guitars, keyboards, and a scratched-up drum kit. They work their way through a song you won't find in any hymnal. Should I stay or should I go? The 80s punk rock anthem by The Clash. Welcome to Monday Night Jam Session at Living Water Community Church. Your hosts, Al and Andy Tauber. Al's the wild-eyed, long-haired guy in the center with an electric guitar and a striking resemblance to a widely reproduced painting of a white Jesus. His wife, Andy's the one with unobtrusive glasses and a mischievous grin gliding between the piano and drums. With joy and optimism and generosity, people learn words in new languages, trade instruments, make mistakes, and play on. Well done, sir! With Al as the Pied Piper and Andy keeping time, the Tobbers manage to lead without grabbing the spotlight. Everything they do, their work, their music, their marriage, involves a kind of deep listening, an ear for changes in rhythm and key, an ability to respond to others, to have faith the song will find its way, even if it falls into chaos sometimes, even if you have to stop and start again. But there's this other side of what we do, which is a ministry of presence. Al's talking to me about his and Andy's day jobs, reaching out to male street prostitutes. The longer that I've worked here, the more I've realized that some of the men that we work with will never get out of what they're doing. Uh, We have a lot of men with a lot of mental illness, and 
some of those men are, are going to probably be stuck in this for the rest of their life. Al sits close by Andy in one of the ministry's tiny offices. His long legs stick out from under the desk. This faith-based nonprofit, separate from the Tauber's church, is called Emmaus Ministries, E-M-M-A-U-S. It's named after a Bible story. Its founder, a Catholic, started it more than 30 years ago after noticing few resources for sexually exploited men, prostitutes, and victims of sex trafficking. Evangelical and Catholic churches, schools, and individuals donate to the ministry, but the budget's been tight lately. It's always been hard to raise money for this. The ministry's goal at heart is to get the men off the streets and bring them to Jesus. That's what they tell their donors. Al and Andy believe that Jesus is the son of a loving God and that each person finds Jesus in their own way. How this happens takes a lot of listening without judgment and a lot of time, a lot of backgammon, card games. Andy says, One of the men is very fond of foosball. They don't focus on the men's sexuality. They do help the men get into detox, call parole officers, find jobs. And this is sort of where we lean into the family end of things, of kind of being caught between being a social service and being a family. And one of the things that family does or that friends do is just hang out together. All the way to the end. I've really come to see that God has also called us to just be there with these guys. When they die, someone needs to grieve for them. When they're in the middle of their madness, they need to know that somebody loves them and somebody cares about them. And that that's a harder sell, I think, to, to donors. <laughs> I go swim. Andy and Al met in the mid-80s at Illinois Wesleyan University, a small liberal arts college halfway between St. Louis and Chicago. Andy was singing on the quad the first day I saw her. So a singing music major from suburban Chicago met a guitar-playing history major from downstate Illinois. And before long, they were making music together. Done the best I could. Nobody know. Nobody's gonna bring me down. They had their differences. Andy's introverted, practical, likes to plan, looks on the bright side. Al's emotional, prone to pessimism, a poet at heart. But they shared a love of music, a sharp wit, and a common faith. They came to Christianity through different doors. Al grew up with it. His mom helped lead a college youth group. And he read the Bible as a kid and admired the young missionaries he met at their dinner table. Andy joined a friend's Presbyterian youth group in high school. She liked the leader's hippie vibe, she says. But Christian feminist theologians brought her to understand Jesus in a new way. The Jesus they described was inclusive and compassionate toward women. In college, Al and Andy belonged to a Southern Baptist student group. And when they read from the Bible, the verses about justice echoed in their ears. They called it the Southern Baptist Church of Jimmy Carter, Al says. But after they got married and felt the denomination, too, focused on politics over good works, they found their way to a Mennonite church. Andy says they liked how the Mennonites lived simply, reached out to refugees, and filled their worship with song. And after Andy performed at a benefit concert in Chicago, a friend recruited her to work for his little nonprofit. 
Andy's worked at Emmaus Ministries 20 years now. Al joined her there about 15 years ago. Most of the men that we work with are selling themselves for food, for money for drugs, often for a place to stay. I met a man once who was out selling himself in order to get diapers for his kid. The more the couple worked with the men, the more they considered it a calling. They played various roles at Emmaus. Al ran an internship program for seminary students, renovated the offices. Andy ran the database and wrote the newsletter. And they spent hundreds of nights on the streets looking for guys to help. Our guys, they call them. Many grew up with abuse. Many are desperate, lonely, and sweet. Yes, they they struggle with mental illness. They have addiction issues and all those sorts of things. But a lot of them are extremely tender-hearted and generous people, and they're fun to be around. And they have stories. (laughs) Oh, there's so many inappropriate ones. I have a guy right now who who says, I'm going to leave Jesus to marry him. (laughs) Many are hard to hear. People talking about, my father used to beat the hell out of me. You know, I would go to school with black eyes. Syl Davis is a pastor at Emmaus. He's worked with struggling gay men in Chicago since the 80s. He remembers when only one funeral home in the city would accept men who died of AIDS. Nobody knew what it was or how you got it. They weren't even in the hospitals and that, and people were just really afraid. There was a young man, he was in the hospital, and when they would serve his tray, um, his, his meals, they would slide it across the floor, and he was too sick to get out of the bed to get it. Al and Andy are white, and most of the early clients were too. Nowadays, most are black and Latino men. Many have HIV. Some are crack addicts. Its ministers say it's always been hard to get other people to notice and care about these men. That's why Al and Andy came up with a crazy pitch. What if they interviewed the men about their lives and turned the stories into songs and performed them for live audiences? Fall after fall, over fall, down through winter, cold, and cold, find the Basically, we were doing a musical about male prostitutes, which is just weird. Weird, maybe. They had to convince their boss and his board of directors it was a good idea. The ministry's founder, John Green. We gave them six months to just go and listen to guys, listen to these stories, and then weave it and craft it into something that we could present to churches and to colleges. They wrote monologues and original songs. They didn't want to shame or exploit the men, so they changed the guys' names to protect their identities and let them read over the drafts to make sure they rang true. The musical giftedness that Andy and Al bring, it's just a beautiful way to communicate our mission. They went to a lot of evangelical churches and colleges, pretty conservative places. Al and Andy wanted their audiences to see these men as real people. This is video from a show at Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. Andy and Al stood up front by the pulpit, facing the polished wood pews. They wore matching outfits, black shirts, khaki pants, 
Andy's light brown hair was long and in dreadlocks back then. Balanced is not a word I'd heard to describe my father. Let's just say he wasn't fair. Still he tried to divide his time equally between beating me and just not being there. They called their program Stories from the Streets, and they performed it dozens of times over the years. One was about a funeral for one of the guys. He was 37 years old. Often when the folks at Emmaus talk about their work, they talk about the guys who died. A lot of them have, for lots of reasons. Maybe they've been taking medication. They just stopped taking it. You get used to it. Men who they found their bodies floating in the lake. Uh, men who've been strangled and killed. Two different serial killers picking up guys. Heroin with the fentanyl. Don't cry much Dead in an alleyway from a, a bad drug deal that had gone wrong. Just desperation and loneliness and losing hope. Al and Andy and Syl put on a lot of funerals. Sometimes amazing things happen. Like the time a Chicago police officer showed up in the middle of a service. She was in full uniform. She walked right down the aisle and told them she'd been friends with the guy. Then the cop faced everyone in the church and she sang His Eyes on the Sparrow. Here's Andy singing that song during a Stories from the Streets performance. When Jesus is my portion A faithful friend is he God just revealed something in that memorial um, that, that was such a comfort. And so it was just beautiful. He watches me Many times as I have prayed at a funeral that just seems so senseless, uh, I hear God saying, this is what I want you to do. It's been a few years since Al and Andy performed stories from the streets. The ministry budget couldn't sustain paying musicians to do a road show, and the couple got called back to the office. The performances worked for a while. Some of those college kids who saw it became interns or staff members or donors. Al and Andy admit it took time to hit the right note. It was such a wrist slitter program. I mean, it was so heavy and depressing. And the first couple times we did it, we just, I mean, we've been doing music for years. And so we we were looking at the audience and going, Oh my gosh, what have we done? <laughs> you know, like Al and like Andy may be soft hearted do gooders, but they're also quirky and very funny. One of my favorite Al songs is called Duct Tape My Heart. I heard them play it at a backyard concert last summer where they competed with the chirps of cicadas and planes flying overhead. When your call came through to me between the OSB and PVC, and all the other builders looked away. It's about a guy whose girlfriend breaks up with him at Home Depot. It made me smile and tear up at the same time, and that pretty much sums up what it's like to spend a lot of time with Al and Andy. 
Al and Andy take long bike rides. They walk along Lake Michigan, play lots of gigs together in Chicago. But their ministry can be heartbreaking work. And the silly songs and silly movies, I think this is how they recharge. Al waits beneath the elevated tracks at the Belmont Station, a brightly lit hub on Chicago's north side. It's almost midnight on a January Wednesday, and Al wears a black knit cap, jeans, and a black winter coat. How you been? Good. Oh, <laughs> uh, the break was needed. <laughs> yeah, I bet. He greets Daniel Howard, a young seminary student who's joining him on a night of outreach. Al hands him a couple packets of disposable hand warmers to slip in his pockets. It's 33 degrees and snow is on the way. Lord, just bless our time. Just pray that you would just bring people to us tonight. The people they want God to bring are prostitutes. Daniel and Al leave the brightly lit station and head east, past comedy clubs and late night restaurants. Clusters of smooth-faced, fashionably-dressed men and women pass by on the sidewalk. An icy wind blows down the street. The air smells like hot dogs and pot and Lake Michigan looming out there in the dark a few blocks away. They head to Halstead Street and a line of popular bars in Boys Town, the hub of Chicago's historic gay community. Al's been doing outreach here almost every week for 15 years. The men he's looking for are lingering on street corners, alleys, convenience store parking lots. Keep it up. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Outside a club known for strong drinks and show tune sing-alongs, Al sees a familiar face. A young man with apple cheeks and a shy grin stands with his hands in his pockets. He's not an Emmaus regular, but they're pretty sure he's been hustling. Al steps beside him and smokes a pipe as he chats with the young man. A sweet tobacco aroma arises around them. Anything new happen out here? Same, same old, same old? Same old. Got a little more crazy. Get to see extra show now. I guess so, man. Al offers him hand warmers, asks after his job and family, asks if he's seen any other guys out here tonight. When a man nearby announces he's selling Coke, Al hands him some hand warmers, too. Appreciate you, blood. Oh, yeah, hell yeah, um, I need some of them. We get you one of these cards. So, Emmaus, we work with guys who are, are prostitutes. Al gives the drug dealer a few business cards. Okay. Uh, can you pass this along to him? I will. I'll no. pass it along to him. Uh, because I know a few of them cats. Stuff like that. I know yeah, a few of them cats. In time, Al and Daniel move along toward the parking lot of a 7-Eleven looking for more guys. They don't carry Bibles or religious tracts. In his backpack, Al's got granola bars warm-knit caps, and a dose of Narcan, in case he meets anyone who's OD'd. He hasn't had to use it yet, he said. He's also got more of those business cards with the ministry's address and phone number. Scott Noble remembers seeing those Emmaus outreach teams many times. He just wanted them to go away. Now, he commands the spotless kitchen at the ministry center, frying up a pan of ground beef. Scott's 53, has a thin mustache and dimples, wears a black apron and plaid shirt over his trim frame. I am cooking spaghetti with two sauces, one for vegetarian, one for the meat eaters like me. Scott grew up on the south side of Chicago. His father wouldn't accept him, so he ran away from home at 16. Got into drugs, crack. It took years for the Emmaus folks to coax him off the street. I kept running to them, kept dodging them, but then one day I was just like, look, 
I keep seeing you people out here. What what do you got to offer me? I'm at the end, you know, so that's the beginning. Um, then I started coming around. He stood by the stove slicing up a potato and told me about the good he's seen Al and Andy do. Going hospital visits, care packages, prayer. They remember your birthday, jail visits. There's a lot of things that sometimes a person needs. Just somebody to say everything's going to be all right. Or somebody saying, oh, you're... You taught me a lot. God's still working on him, Scott says. Many of Emmaus's staff and supporters take what they'd call a traditional biblical view of sexuality, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. They're not out to convert anyone. This isn't a place to pray the gay away. To appease their Catholic supporters, including the Archdiocese of Chicago, Emmaus staff don't hand out condoms as part of their street ministry. They don't fly a rainbow flag out front. But as much as they can, they try to steer clear of the culture war within Christianity, that battle over sexuality and sin that's splitting the United Methodist Church. Al says there's space here for different views. They just want everyone to feel loved. Scott identifies as gay. As he cooked lunch that day, I asked him what his faith says about it. He told me some of the Emmaus guys end up marrying women, He wonders if they're happy. He stared at the spaghetti sauce for a while. Well, I want to be straight, probably. I don't know. At at this point, I just like, I don't know. The ministry serves a hot lunch twice a week at a long table in the church basement, beneath a painting of a dark-skinned Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. The meal starts with a reading from scripture. So chapter 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to the disciples, In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal. A client named Enrique read from the Bible that day. He's known Al and Andy for years. They've seen me in my best and my worst, yes. And I and they've always helped out as much as they could. I asked him what they mean to him, what Emmaus means to him. L-O-V-E, amor, amor, A-M-O-R, amor, love. That family-style meal is the center of Emmaus's ministry, Al says. We model our ministry after the story of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. It's a town outside Jerusalem. No one's quite sure where. Meeting these two disciples at the worst, lowest point of their life. Jesus had just been crucified. They've basically lost everything and are walking away from Jerusalem. And Jesus meets them on the road. He listens to them. He asks them questions. But they don't recognize him. He acts as if he's going further so in order to get an invitation into their home, which is so sneaky and lovely. And when they sit down together at a table and they break bread together, that's when they finally recognize him. And so we, do, we take so much of what we do from that, just that story. Al says it's about seeing Jesus in everyone. In the kitchen, Scott told me his take. It's definitely a road when I think about where I'm coming from and where I am now. A road, he says. The Bible is full of roads, winding, dangerous, and forgotten roads, and also wilderness where people wander and must find their own way. I found my way to Al and Andy's second floor walk-up in a sturdy old brick apartment building a block from their church. In the foyer, there's a portrait of a smiling young man painted in vibrant colors on a pane of glass. He was one of the guys. He's dead now. 
Andy cradles a black and brown speckled cat on her shoulder as we talk. The cat belonged to another one of the guys. They're not sure where he is now. Since Al and Andy haven't performed stories from the streets in a few years, I ask Al to play me his favorite song from the program. So he gets out his guitar and he sits on a piano bench near Andy. Do you remember it? It's been a little while. Andy nods. She remembers it. All your life you've kept your head down. The song's about one of the guys who loved Thor, the Marvel superhero. Thor is handsome and strong and has a magical hammer that only someone really worthy can lift. Al said they wanted to tell him, you can do it. You're worthy. Isn't that the whole point? To convince these guys that God loves them, just as they are. So he wrote this song called Pick It Up. Al's voice is cracking. They just learned Emmaus is cutting their hours in health insurance. A new director wants staff with clinical expertise. Al and Andy don't have that. Their road to Emmaus is ending. There's just a lot of pain and a lot of um, some anger, <laughs> uh, some, a lot of anxiety. There's just, um, just a whole host of negative feelings swarming around. Andy keeps her voice steady. We talked about what's next. For years now, they've dreamed of starting a nonprofit music school for refugee kids, building off the Monday night jam sessions at their church. So they'll give this new chapter a go, apply for some grants, get some help from friends, and test out Al's theology. I think God is a God of compost and is usually, actually is always growing beautiful and nourishing things out of steaming piles of <laughs> crap. One thing I realized about Al and Andy is that they don't interrupt each other. I'm not sure if it's a sign of a good marriage or just something musicians know, but they speak in each other's pauses. So I notice here when Andy interrupts Al. So I don't... not to say that this is a steaming pile. No, it's not, but it... it I, I also don't, I never feel like, I, mean, I, I think there's a tendency among, especially evangelical Christians, to say God is in control and all of these things are happening for a purpose and this is the way it's supposed to be. And I've just, for years anyway, I've just felt like, I don't think I believe that. Andy snuggles the cat on her shoulder. Beyond her, by the door, I can see the bright splotches of paint on the portrait the one of the guy who died. Al writes a lot of sad songs, but he writes them for Andy to sing with him. And Andy's voice is filled with hope. You've touched the divine, she sings. Take it, use it, love it, choose it. It's waiting for you. She carries the tune all the way to the end. For The Spiritual Edge, I'm Monique Parsons. Our show this week was produced by Monique Parsons in collaboration with KALW's The Spiritual Edge, University of California Center for Religion and Civic Culture. 
and Religion News Service. The conversation continues on our Facebook page, and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer with theme music by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening.